Well, three weeks ago this Sunday, um, somebody, while I was preaching here, somebody broke into our house and took all of our electronics and stole my wife's jewelry. They kicked down the front door and um, came in and took our TVs and and we had just gotten some laptops for my kids, some cheap computers for my kids to do uh, homeschool stuff with, and all that stuff uh, was stolen. And um, it was interesting to see the response of my kids. And the one thing that they responded probably greatest to, I mean, they, they kind of freaked out that somebody had broken into our house. But it was the fact that they stared on our living room wall and there was no TV. That was tragic. I mean, it was interesting because you could almost, you know, you could just see it in their eyes, like just all peace and happiness just drift away, you know. And it was, it was like death had just overcome them. Um, one of them was convulsing on the floor and, and foaming at the mouth, you know. And uh, no TV. I mean, what, what is a child going to do, right? And some of you, what would happen if all of a sudden... Um, when you get home, your TVs are gone, and you have nothing to stare at for hours. What would you do? Some of you, some of you in the room, you would spontaneously explode. I mean, you just would drop. You would drop dead, right? <laughs> some of you are thinking, "I might, I might just drop dead if I don't have my TV," because you're so addicted to it. Um, but uh, it was just, it was kind of funny because it literally was like just all the happiness had drained away from them. But uh, as Christians, we say children, you know, family, we're going, to, um, we're going to be okay without TV. It really will be okay. We'll survive. And in fact, um, for a little while, we, we might be happier without it. And, um, but we actually borrowed a friend's TV a few days later, and my kids were back at it. You know, so they were, they were happy again, once again. But it was kind of weird. It just was strange. I'm, I don't know if you guys are like this, but my wife treats a TV kind of like one of those like sound machines. Like she doesn't even like to watch it. She would just put it on and wants to fall asleep to it. And I sit there like this. And I just stare at it because I can't fall asleep because it's like, oh, the glow, you know. Um, but she just sleeps as soon as it comes on. And so it just was weird because everything in our house was just kind of quiet. For a few days until we borrowed a TV, which was nice. Um, but anyway, today what we're going to talk about is how the gospel changes our life and how it brings joy in our life no matter what happens. Even when situations occur where we feel like the happiness and joy has been drained from our life. And most of us are probably going through and will experience things way more traumatic than having no TV. Okay, so... Trust me, I'm just making light of that. But in the series, what we've been doing over the last, uh, this will be our 10th week now in the gospel life, has been this series about where we've been walking through the book of Acts. And what we've been seeing is something like this, is that the gospel is not just for our salvation. It is also for us on an everyday basis, how, we actually, how it actually radically changes our behavior on, a, on, on kind of a 24-7 basis. It's not just something that we say, okay, I was saved now. I heard about Jesus and I've given my life to him, that he's good, that he loves me, and I can't earn my salvation, but I accept him. But now actually the gospel, the good news of Jesus is something that um, is something that is the way we live 24-7. And so we've been following through the, the book of Acts because it's the story of the very first church and how they lived it out and how they lived out this new knowledge and faith in Christ 
and how it changed their daily behaviors. And today we're going to see an interesting story in Acts chapter 16 of a guy named Paul who, who literally has the joy stripped from him, any kind of sense of happiness taken from him, yet um, he is full of joy in the gospel. And so today we're just going to ask that question is how do we keep joy and maintain kind of a happiness in spite of whatever happens? Um, so uh, I'm excited today to, to jump into to chapter 16. Um, and there's a lot of things in, in life, though, that can, can rid us of happiness. Not just missing TVs, but all of us experience pain, physical, emotional, right? Some of us have illnesses. Our bodies are, are dying and broken. And a lot of us have ailments and diseases and things that just bother us and cause us pain and frustration and, can, and literally strip the happiness from us. Some of us just have emotional hurt, and which causes us unhappiness. Some of us have, though, not just, not just physical pain. We have people pain, right? How many of you know any irritating people that drive you crazy just kind of keep the happiness from you? A lot of people raising their hands in here. If they're in the room, raise your hand. Just teasing. Don't do that. <laughs> um, I, this week, my wife left. I sent her to Wisconsin to go help um, our, our children's director last week move to Wisconsin. And so I sent my wife up there to go help her get unpacked and settled in. So I'm Mr. Mom for a week with six children at home. And I'm going nuts, all right? I'm going crazy. And so it is very, very difficult. My happiness is drained because of the people who live with me, all right? And so this is a challenging message to give today. I have to, I have to remind it for myself because uh, people oftentimes in our life will cause us a lot of pain and irritation and remove the joy from our life. Not just people, but also just pressure. Some of us have external pressure like uh, deadlines and, and job pressures and our job's on the line or I've got to find a job, my financial pressure, things like that, right? Maybe it's just even, um, maybe you're in school, maybe you're uh, a kid in school and you're like, I just don't, I, I have these tests coming up and you just constantly feel the weight and the pressure of having to, to, to do well in school, and some of you, you just don't care, so whatever. Um, but, but I want to give us a theme verse for today, and actually Paul wrote this, and it's in the book of Philippians, verse, or chapter 1, verse 27, it says this, whatever happens, that's the key thing, listen to that, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, worthy of the good news of Jesus, whatever happens. We're to be people who, who live in such a way that no matter the circumstances or the situations that we have a joy in the gospel um, that is far outweighs the circumstances of our life and the issues and the pressures and the people and the pain, the problems of our life. So this week, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna look at Paul and a guy named Silas, and they're actually going to be put into prison. They're actually going to be put into prison. And here's, here's what will happen, and, and we see this true of us. What we believe about the gospel, what we believe about the good news of Jesus, it reveals to us when we're in the whatever happens stages of life, it really reveals to us uh, what we truly believe. You see, whenever you go through the whatever, what you believe about the gospel shows up. If you believe that the gospel was good for salvation and you're saved, um, you might be going to heaven um, but really you want the gospel just to give you a better life here on this earth. You want God to give you good things and to bless you. Well, then bad things happen. You're going to, your world's going to be rocked and you're going to go, God, you don't love me. 
God, you must not care about me because you're thinking God is there just to serve you and give you um, a blessed and happiness on this earth and that he's just supposed to give you good, nice stuff. Well, it doesn't always work like that. And when it doesn't, then all of a sudden our belief in God is shaken because we're not truly believing the true gospel. We believe in something else. And so how we respond in the whatever happens is very important. And so I want to walk through and show you what Paul and this guy Silas do in Acts chapter 16 and see what we can learn from them. If you want, if you've got a Bible and you want to turn to Acts 16, you can do that. We're going to start in verse 23. Um, if you don't have a Bible, we'll um, put the verses up on the screen, so no worries. But just to kind of catch you up where Paul is, um, Paul is, and Silas have been traveling around uh, the Roman world, talking to people about Jesus, spreading the good news of Jesus to lots of people who didn't know about Jesus. And so some are meeting him with resistance. Some are eager to hear the good news. Some are not eager to hear the good news. He was traveling in a place called Macedonia. And a woman who was a fortune teller started following Paul and Silas around. Now this woman who was a fortune teller had an evil demonic spirit in her that allowed her to tell people's fortune. And it also, uh, um, this also, this demon spoke out at Paul and Silas and began to say things like, these guys are telling people the way of the Lord. And he, this woman literally just followed them around for three days, just kind of shouting out things like, these guys are followers of the Most High. You know, these guys will show you the way. Just constantly, just shouting and following them. Finally, Paul gets frustrated. He's like, this lady's irritating me. So he turns around and says, spirit be gone. In the name of Jesus, and this demonic spirit leaves this woman and she's able to rest and, and go back home. Well, that's good, right? The woman's a little bit happier. The bad part about it that is, is this woman belonged to a man who ran his own little fortune-telling business, okay? And so now Paul was cutting into his profits, right? And so he just messed with her, um, with her fortune-telling ability. And so now the fortune-teller shop down on Main Avenue is, is not going well, okay? So... Um, So now this guy's ticked and he grabs Paul and Silas and brings them to the court. And there were some other Jews in the neighborhood that didn't like them talking about Jesus. So they jump into and they take them to the courts and they say, these guys are stirring up trouble for our city. And so without any kind of trial or really evidence of anything, um, the leaders take those guys. They have them stripped naked. So Paul and Silas are stripped naked in public. And they're beaten half to death with sticks. Beaten half to death. Why? Because they were telling people about Jesus. Why? Because they helped a woman who was oppressed by a demonic spirit. And now they're beaten half to death with rods. And now we find, this is where we find ourselves in verse 23. Verse 23 says this. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. So not only were they in prison, they were in stocks, which are those big wooden things that keep you from moving around. Um, So verse 25, this is a bad day, right? Happiness gone. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Okay, wait a minute. Um, Here they just were beaten, thrown into prison, stripped down naked, thrown into stocks. And now they're not passed out. They're not angry. They're not cursing God. What are they doing? It says they're praying and singing. What's wrong with these people? Right? 
If that was me, I'd be passed out. <laughs> if it was you, what would you be doing? Or would you be crying? I don't know. So, but here they're praying and they're singing. There's no change in their happiness or their joy or their attitude. Listen to what happens. Verse 26. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prisons were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Isn't that crazy? God does a miracle, doesn't he? He releases everyone. I mean, the foundations of the prison are shaken by an earthquake. You guys remember the big earthquake that came uh, two weeks ago? Just shook our foundation here in Greenville, South Carolina. Anybody feel that? Anybody? Yeah? Did it like shake you a little bit? (laughs) Um, Did your doors just fly open? Probably not. (laughs) Probably nothing happened. So uh, you might have seen the water go. Okay, so that was about it. But, But anyway, so now God's freedom, right? Miracle. You think they would all just run out, right? What would happen if the Greenville County Jail doors all of a sudden <laughs> flung open? Listen to what happens. Verse 27. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We're all here. He stayed in prison. The chains are off. The doors are open. He's hanging out. Hey, this is nice here. I like the inner cell. This is a good place to be. It's midnight. It's late. God just released him. Last week, uh, it was interesting, we read a story in chapter 14 about a guy named Peter. He was in prison too, right? If you remember, if you were here last week, Peter, God miraculously led him out with an angel out of, the, out of the prison gates. And so it's kind of a similar situation. We thought, well, maybe here it is again. God is releasing them from prison. But Paul stays in prison. Verse 29, the jailer called for the lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And he then brought them out, brings them out of the jail and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. Crazy. Everybody stayed. And you know what he said? He said, listen, I don't know anybody in their right mind who would stay in jail, who's a prisoner. Something's different about you guys. He had been listening to them sing and pray and talk about Jesus in the prison. And he goes, I want that. I want that God. I want to believe in him. Verse 32. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. This is happening at like two or three in the morning after they've been beaten half to death. He gets drugged to the guy's house. He's baptizing his family. This is crazy, right? The jailer brought them into the house, set a meal before them, and was filled with, listen to that word, joy, because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Why was he filled with joy? Because he believed in in the gospel, because the good news of Jesus had filled his life, and he had joy, joy for the very first time in his life. Joy, real joy, true joy for the very first time in his life, because he had trusted in Jesus. Verse 35, when it was daylight, the magistrate sent the officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. Actually, the, the verses even following say that Paul doesn't leave right away. He actually makes the magistrates, the leaders that put him in jail, he makes them come and apologize before he'll leave. He says, no, you've got to come bring, escort me out yourself just because Paul's awesome. Okay? So crazy story, right? Crazy story. 
These guys are beaten. They're put into prison. It's late at night. The jail door's open, but they don't leave. But God uses it to do a miracle in a jailer's life. And he, he and his whole household comes to know Jesus. This morning, I want to just give you a few things, three main things, on how we can be full of joy in the gospel no matter, no matter what. And we're going to learn from the life of Paul in this. First of all, is this, is we need to look at every problem from an eternal perspective. When you go through difficulties, and you maybe just want to think about whatever problem, pressure, pain, or person is in your life right now, and maybe just, just kind of stop and in your own mind and heart, just pray to God and say, God, give me your perspective. I want to see this issue, see this problem in my life through your eyes, through your perspective. Because when we begin to get God's perspective on things, it begins to change how we respond and begins to change um, what we do. Listen to Paul's attitude again. At midnight, he's praying and singing hymns. That's nuts, right? You see, Paul understands a truth is that joy is not something that is just dependent upon our circumstances and our problems. Joy is a choice, right? It's a choice that we make to choose to believe and have hope and faith in the gospel that God loves us, that he is for us, he's not against us. And when we trust and rest in those things, then it changes how we see these external things. And so, again, Paul saw things from from. God's perspective. Listen to how Paul uh, says this in a different book of the Bible that he actually wrote called uh, the letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4.18. says this. So, Paul saying this, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. In other words, when I go through the whatever happens, when I'm in the junk of life, I have to focus on what is unseen. I cannot focus on the what is right here, right now. Because if I focus on the what is here, right now, then I'm probably going to get disappointed and I'm going to believe things that aren't true. But instead, I have to focus on the what is unseen, the eternal things from God's perspective, the bigger picture. And when I do that, he says, um, there's this this fixture that then all of a sudden I can have joy in the gospel. I can have joy no matter what happens because I fix my eyes on him. Have you ever, guys, you've, you've probably noticed this before when you're driving, and I've even used this illustration before, but when you drive, the farther ahead of the horizon you look, the straighter you go. Did you know that? When you look really close at kind of the lines, they go, and you watch kind of right over your hood, if you're focused right in, did you know you actually swerve a lot more, right? And, but if you're looking out on the horizon, kind of in a distance, at a farther place on the road, you actually will have a better sense of where you're going, and you'll drive straighter. Um, but when you begin to look close, you begin to swerve. And if you're texting on your phone, guess where you'll go? Into the ditch and you'll wreck. Or if you're looking at your hair, man, I look really good in the rearview mirror. You know, some, some people do that, which is true too. If you're just looking at yourself in the rearview mirror, how well are you going to go forward? If you're just looking at yourself and your own problems and just worried about you, then you're not going to be able to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and you're not going to probably have a whole lot of joy because oftentimes the stuff that's in front of us, the here and now, gives us problems. And if you're like me, I, 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 my future side is about an hour, right? I know what I'm doing in about an hour, but that's about it. And so oftentimes we have to kind of extend that and say, God, give me your perspective. Help, help me to understand that what I'm going through right now, there's a, there's a bigger picture here. How many of you have ever gone through something and in the middle of it, 
you thought, man, this is really difficult and uh, what is God punishing me? But then on the back end, you go, man, now I see what God was doing. Man, I'm so glad I went through that in my life because now I have a totally different perspective on who God is and on how he wants to use me and it's changed me. Anybody ever been through something like that? Probably most of you have, right? And you've all been through something where, man, it, it didn't seem good at the time, but at the end of it, hindsight's, what do they say is 2020? We get a, we get a better picture of it. Um, but we really need not just a hindsight 2020, we need a future 2020 from God's perspective. And here's, here's the interesting thing about Paul is that, you know, when, we ha- when he has a gospel perspective, when he has a gospel perspective, that means that God loves him, is for him, not against him, that Jesus died for him. It begins to change how he lives. Because, see, here's a guy who's talking about Jesus and he's getting beat and thrown in prison for it. Okay? And so if you're getting beat and thrown in prison for doing something that you think is the right thing, you, you kind of want to rethink that, going, man, maybe this isn't the right thing, right? But he says, no, it's the true thing because God's, the truth of God's word doesn't change because of the circumstances in his life. That's what happens when you have an eternal perspective. Just because circumstances change, the truth of God's word never changes. The truth of the gospel that God loves you, he has spoiled you, and that he has saved you not of your own works, but of his works only. Not because you deserve it, but because he's good enough, and he loves you, and Jesus was the sacrifice for you. That, change, that truth never changes. And so we trust and we rest on that. Here's the other thing that's really interesting about this, is you hear the prisoners. What are the prisoners doing? They're, they're listening to him, aren't they? They're watching him, right? They're watching him. And, and the crazy thing is they don't leave the prison, do they? Did you, did you pick that up when I read that? This is a prison full of prisoners. Paul and Silas, and it says all the other people were released as well. But none of them left. Why? Why would all these guys who are criminals be in jail, not leave the prison? Why? How would their perspective changed? Because they're hearing a truth that brings them more joy than anything outside of that prison. Isn't that cool? The prisoners stayed because they heard something that all of a sudden, for, for the first time in their life, this is true joy. This is true meaning. This is true purpose. This is true life. That God loves me. That it's not about me. That Jesus died for me. That's incredible. That's not what the other gods are saying. They lived in a very pagan society. They worshiped lots of gods. The other gods, they had to do things for the other gods. And they said, I don't have to do anything to earn salvation. He loved me. And he said, I don't have to sacrifice for him. You mean he sacrificed for me? You understand they lived in a world like that, right? Every other god, you had to sacrifice for them. We live in a world like that. Every other God that, that people serve, people serve lots of different gods. People serve money. People serve sex. People serve uh, Allah. People serve Buddha. People serve lots of different gods. And every other God, you have to sacrifice and give to that God. You understand that, right? You have to spend your life giving to that God. Even if your God is money or work, you have to spend your life giving everything you got to that God in order for, it to, for, for that God to return happiness to you. And the reality is at the end of that life, you know, what you, you know what kind of happiness you really get? You get none. You've sacrificed everything. But here's the strange thing about God. God says, no, I've sacrificed everything for you. He turns the tables. So these prisoners are saying it's a whole new perspective. And now all of a sudden, I, I'm going to stay in prison so I can hear more 
about this guy named Jesus from this guy named Paul. Pretty crazy. The second thing that we need to do is um, we can have joy no matter what happens if we never let others control our attitude. We never let others control our attitude. Paul had a lot of people coming against him, Paul and Silas, and people speaking out against him. This guy who was mad that he um, was messing with his fortune telling business. Right? Even the leaders and the Jews of the day were very angry with Paul, saying lots of nasty things about him. And, and if you're like me, when people s- criticize you, I just I don't know about you, but I get like this. When I hear people criticize me, and it happens plenty of times, I just get like this churning in, in my stomach. I just feel sick. Makes you want to just vomit, doesn't it? This messes with you because inner, you know, my, my inner self says I want all people to love me and to like me and, and, and that kind of stuff. But when other people criticize me or are angry at me or whatever, if I've disappointed someone, it just really messes with me. And so if you're like that, um, oftentimes it will, it just will, it will mess with you. But there's plenty of, plenty of negative and critical people in our life who can help drag us down. And really negativity and criticism can just be, begin to change our attitudes, can it? And it begin, begin to kind of suck the happiness and life out of us. I was um, in this, the grocery store the other day, by low, and I'm standing in line, and this guy's got, he keeps sneezing back behind me. And I'm thinking, man, this dude needs some tissue or something, you know. And so I'm waiting to check out, and I heard kind of this, this big, long silence, like this, <gasps> this pause, and then I felt the spray, right on the back of my neck and heard this big shoo and just whoop, just a spray on my neck. And I'm like, <laughs> you know? And so then I'm faced with the dilemma. Do I wipe it? You know, if I wipe it, then it's on my hands. Or do I stand there and pretend it never happened and just let it dry and just kind of fester on my neck? You know, that's disgusting, right? And he's just spreading his nastiness on me. And so I'm just like, this is really gross. Um, but I actually turned around and I said, man, you are sick. You just, no, I didn't. I said, God bless you. <laughs> and he's like, well, thank you. You know, just snot and everything, just, just rubbing it. You know, just drip. And I'm like, gosh, this is disgusting. I would never do something like that. I always pick my nose so that it just, you know, get it out before it just has a chance to spray all over people. It's way better. Um, so, but, you know, but critical negative people, they, they will spray their snot on you. And like a cold or a virus, it will spread, won't it? It does. And so, and so oftentimes we have to just be careful. We need to tell those people, look, you need to use a tissue because you're spraying snot all over me. All right? No, but we just need to protect. We need to guard our, we need to guard our hearts and our minds. That's something that Philippians 4 says. As Paul was facing lots of negativity and criticism towards him and what was happening. And, and, and also, don't you think people were like, don't, shouldn't you give this up, Paul? I mean, you're getting beat over talking about Jesus. You probably should give this up. Listen to verse 4 of Philippians says that Paul says he does. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So he prays about it. And then the peace of God, the joy and peace of God, which transcends all understanding. People don't even understand it. Listen to what it says. It will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, 
whatever is noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. In other words, we've got to guard our hearts and our minds. In order to, to maintain joy in the gospel, we've got to uh, maintain or, or at least guard ourselves, our hearts and our minds, from the negativity and the criticism of the people that surround us. We're, we're responsible for our own attitudes, aren't we? And you know where we win the battle of our attitude? We win it right between our two ears, right? We win it in our thoughts. In our community group this week, we were doing a study on our thoughts. It was really uh, pretty convicting for me. And one of the things as we talked about in our study is that oftentimes our thoughts, the, the three big thoughts that we have that just poison our minds are we have thoughts of discontented, discontentment, discontented thoughts, um, which are thoughts like, um, man, if I, if I only had this, then I would be happy. Anybody fall into those? If I only was, Paul maybe could have said, if I was only out of prison, I'd be happy. If only I had not talked about Jesus, then I wouldn't be in this situation. If only Jesus had not, you know, saved me, I, I would be a whole lot better off than this. Maybe you fall into, if only I had a better job, then I would be happy. If only I had a different spouse, then I would be happy. If only I didn't have all these kids in my house, then I would be happy. If only I had more money, then I would be happy or a different job or whatever it would be. And, and, uh, and that, here's, the, here's the thing. You can always live with those discontented thoughts. No matter how much money or the job or the spouse or the kids that you have, there will always be, a, if I only, then I will be happy. Right? As we have to guard and protect our hearts and minds, instead think about what is true, what is admirable, what is lovely, excellent, praiseworthy, those type of things, because discontented thoughts will poison us. Negative thoughts, too. Negative thoughts is, is Paul could have said, man, this whole Jesus thing is not working out for me. Um, this whole going into prison thing, just getting beaten, not happening. I mean, just negative, negative. He could have been very negative. But instead, he's singing hymns, he's praising God, and he's telling people about Jesus. Instead of us, and I know that I can fall into the same thing, I become very negative. And be negative about the situations of our life and let it control my attitudes. Say, this is not working out. This is just a bad situation. You know, God must not like me. Those kind of things. Um, why is God punishing me? Negative thoughts. Guard your thoughts. Guard your mind. Replace it with the truth. Fearful thoughts. Those are the, what if I never get out of this situation? Those are the what ifs. What if I die? What if I just get sick? What if I, what if, you know, what if this marriage doesn't work? What if our, if our kid fails school? What if, what if, what if? And there's always what ifs, right? But we can't allow the what ifs to, to control us and to change our attitudes and to suck our happiness in the life of the gospel that the gospel really gives us. Instead, we've got to renew our hearts and renew our minds with the truth uh, of, of God's good news. Here's the third thing, um, is that we need to live by God's purpose not our problems. You see, there's a hope in the gospel that changes us and it gives us a new purpose. Instead of living in the midst of problems, we live for a new purpose. So you have a choice to make. You can either live in pity or you can live in purpose. How many of you know people that like to wallow in pity? You know anybody like that? Man, my life is just pitiful. Well, you have a choice. You can live in pity or you can live in purpose, right? Which one are you going to do? Because there's always an opportunity to, be, to have pity. But don't take pity. You have purpose in your life. Instead of worry, we're going to worship. Instead of being, you know, petrified, we're going we're gonna to pray. Instead of being fearful, we're going to pray. Um, Paul, the interesting thing about him is he has a purpose not just for living, but he has a purpose for dying, right? He's saying that my purpose is just to live and live a happy life. My purpose is 
I'm, I have a purpose for dying. I'm willing to die because I have a purpose that's outside of my life right here because I've been changed by the good news of Jesus. Now I understand that life is just not about every day that we walk through right now. Now I have an eternal perspective and I'm not letting people change my attitudes and I have a greater sense of purpose. I have a new priority in my life. It's not just having more money, having more things. It's now I'm going to live for Jesus and spread the good news. What's really matters, the eternal picture of the gospel. He could have just said, hey, listen, I, I got to get out of this prison. But instead he said, I, I, I have an eternal purpose. That's what's so interesting about him staying in jail, right? Because here's the thing. He knew that if he left, this jailer would have died. So he says, I'm going to sacrifice my comfort for the sake, and I'm going to sacrifice my freedom. Listen to this. Sacrifice my comfort and my freedom for the sake of allowing a person to know Jesus. That's a whole new perspective and purpose. I'm going to sacrifice my comfortability. I'm going to sacrifice my, um, my freedoms for the sake of other people knowing about Jesus. That's a new purpose, a higher calling that God calls us to. Listen to what Paul said in the book of Philippians. He says it this way, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. In other words, he was ready to face, in the book of Philippians, he was ready to face death. He was kind of on death's doorstep. And he was saying, listen, if I live, I share Jesus. And if I die, I gain eternity. And either way, I'm happy. But I have one purpose, and that's Jesus. Whether it's on this earth or it's after this earth, I have Jesus. That's it. A new purpose, a new perspective. So um, the insurance money from our whole robbery thing came in this week. All right, so it was Christmas Day, the Mitchell household. Uh, and it really, you know, I, I speak about it like it was this great thing, but honestly, we lost a ton. There's no way we'll be able to make up. I mean, my wife's mom passed away a couple years ago, and she left all her jewelry and just family heirlooms from her grandma. She lost her wedding band, her mom's wedding band. All of that was taken, and there's no way. We didn't get, you know, we got a very small fraction of insurance money. But the way insurance money works is this, is if you don't spend it, you don't get it. They have you an allotment to replace some of the things in your house. So they gave us an allotment of money to replace our TVs. So we went to the Better Buy store, right? And we said, we're going to pick out the biggest TV we can get for how much they allot. Because if they give us, if, if I bought a $100 TV, well, then they would give me $100 to replace it. Instead, if I give, buy a, a big money TV, then they'll give me that money, whatever. Uh, the amount the limit was. So we go to Best Buy, and listen, our whole life, we've never had nice TVs. We've had moderate TVs. So I'm happy to say that we walked out of the door, and I no longer have a TV like this. I have a TV like this, all right? And so I have a man TV. And so I'm, I've actually, I think I have more hair on my chest already. I mean, it's just it's just been growing like crazy since, since we brought up this TV home. Um, but it was so funny when we hooked it up, my kids' faces, <laughs> they're like, uh, it was just like the Shekinah glory. It was like, oh, just raining down from heaven. They just went into like instant zombie mode. You know what I mean? And they were amazed. And it was like, oh, I mean, it was, it was pretty hysterical. It was like they had an IV of TV in them, just, just direct running. Um, and so... Uh, so it's been, it's been really fun. So I let them watch a couple movies and stuff like that on this big screen. But everybody's like bigger than you are now. 
It's, it's crazy. You're like, man, you're kind of ugly now that you're so big. You know, um, but it's, it's interesting how when God takes us through difficult situations, you know what he will often do is he will expand and he'll make our vision bigger and he'll make our, our screen a whole lot bigger to give us a clear picture of his purpose for our life. Has that ever happened to you when you go through something that's difficult? Um, you go through an illness or a tragedy or maybe difficult in marriage. And all of a sudden, kind of the things that you thought were really important, they kind of fade away. And you begin to reprioritize your life because you go, no, the things that I thought were so important now, I know were not so important. And all of a sudden, God has expanded the picture. And he said, listen, no, 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 let me show you the bigger picture. Let me show you what's really important. And you've been kind of looking over here and been really distracted. You've been looking at a lot of different things. But let me just make it really big and clear for you. Sometimes God walks us through difficulties in our life so that we see the bigger picture and the bigger purpose of life. See, Paul knew the bigger picture of life was not on this earth, but in the next life. And that we can know God and love God in in this life and have joy in Him until the next life. And so our purpose it expands and God uses our problems to give us true joy. And he discovered what joy really is. Here's an interesting thing, because joy really is about our priorities. If you break down joy, the acronym, have you ever heard this before? It's Jesus first. This is our new priorities and if we're going to have joy. Jesus first, others second, and yourself third. You see, when you live for yourself, if you flip those around, you live for yourself, others, than Jesus, you just get yodge. And that's not joy, right? It's just yaj. Who wants yaj? I don't even know what that is. But if you live... (laughs) Thank you for laughing, because I'm twisted. If you live for Jesus first, and that's your priorities, another second, then that's really where our joy comes from. And that's what Paul was doing. He's saying, in the midst of prison, I'm living for the sake of this guy knowing Jesus, this jailer and his whole family knowing Jesus above my own comfort, above my own everything else. So... What, what would you put in that first category? If you're a person who lives for entertainment, you'll be greatly disappointed. If you're a person who lives for money, you'll be greatly disappointed in life. If you're a person who lives for your own happiness and, and your own fulfillment, maybe just at work, then you'll, you'll be unhappy. But if you live for Jesus, that's the only answer that really gives full contentment and happiness and joy. And so no matter the whatever happens, you can have joy in the gospel because you know that God loves you. And no matter circumstances, the truth of that never changes. But sometimes we just need to be reminded that there are more important things in life, don't we? Guys, there's more important things in life. And his name is Jesus. Um, my kids, my two oldest, were fighting um, yesterday, two days ago, in the kitchen. And I had to come in and intervene and they're just kind of battling each other. Well, he said this, and he did this, and he's whatever, and he's whatever. And my, um, and, and I'm just, I'm, I'm having the, the good talk with them, being a good dad. And I'm like, listen, guys, your relationship is way more important than what you're going through. I said, listen, there are more, and I said these exact words, guys, there are more important things in life than this. And my son Thatcher, he's so wise. He's a great theologian. And he pops up and he goes, yeah, dad, like candy. And, and uh, everyone just started laughing. I mean, everyone was kind of intense and, we're, you know, it's kind of loud and, and everybody's upset with each other. And, and everyone just starts to, to laugh. 
And my son, uh, Thatcher, he has this, this infectious giggle. He's like, <laughs> you know, he's just is giggling and, and he's like, Candy, ha, ha. You know, he's just laughing. And, everybody just, and we all just start to laugh. And we're like, this is so funny. You're hysterical. Because the most important thing in life is candy, right? Um, no, the most important thing in life is Jesus. And when we, when we actually have that perspective, it does give us joy. And we can just laugh about the situations that we're in. And I know that that takes a serious sense of maturity and a new perspective. But some of us need to remember, no matter what we're going through in the midst of it, there's something more important in life. And it's not candy. It's Jesus, okay? It's Jesus. Let me pray for you today. And then we're going to close in some worship.